You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Oh, man, we're really starting to do better at that. Good morning. One more time. I love that. Good morning. I love interacting. I'm so glad you're here today at Redemption City Church. And I just want to talk about a couple of things. Um, I see new faces. We want to just continue to get to know each other. So let's just run through a couple of things. Uh-oh. All right. Number one, we really do. I want to echo what Pastor Jack said. We really do love our children. And so we are so excited as they get ready to go to Kids Club. But I just want to invite the kids again to just kind of look at me right now. The God, the God of the universe has a word for you today. And I want you to work hard. I want you to listen. Parents, if your children do not have a Redemption City roadmap, this would be a good time just to go to the back, um, our back table and to pick them up one. Um, they can truly interact with the sermon today. They can take notes. You know, they can lean in and they can do that. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're really excited that you're here. We're in a series. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And if you've been hanging in there with us, I really, man, our hearts are filled with gratitude. Statistically around the country, summer is one of the lowest times for church attendance. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Even in our small church community, we have families out that are away on vacation. Some families are at camp. And so for you to come to church today and to stay focused and to be leaning into what God has for you, man, we celebrate that. And so um, if this is your first time here, we are working through an um, an eight-part series called the DNA a series, okay? And essentially that's Redemption City Church exploring what are our values and what are our characteristics that we will be known for and marked by as a church community. Um, We looked on the first week about how 350,000 church expressions are here right in America. And then we looked at devastating news that over 60,000 of them have been closing over the last 10 years. And primarily that's a move away from the foundations of the gospel. And so we looked at that the first week. What does it mean for Redemption City Church to be marked by the gospel? The gospel is where everything starts. It's why we have a hope. It's why we have church, the gospel. And then we moved on and we looked at what does it mean for us to be a people, an individual marked by grace. And we learned that grace is essentially an expression of God's love, providing things to his people that we really don't deserve. Ultimately, salvation and a relationship with him, but also things practical practically in our lives. We don't deserve those things, but God provides those things. We also looked at mercy. It's super important that we understand the difference between grace and mercy. So we learned that mercy is another expression of God's love from the opposite side. So in his love, he withholds things that we absolutely do deserve, but we don't want, right? Like condemnation and judgment because we're not in a right relationship with him. And so because of God's grace providing things, because of his mercy, withholding things, when those two things collide in the true believer, generosity is to spark out of their hearts. And so we looked at what does it mean to be marked by generosity? When you have truly had an encounter with the living God, generosity should flow out of your heart, not just financially, but with your life and with your love. Then from there, we had some adversity. We were not able to meet here at the Arbory. And so we 
the people of God, we just moved on over to Pastor Jack's house for pancakes, prayers, and pathway. And it was a great time where we leaned into each other and we asked the Lord that he would provide and that he would be the providing God that we know he is. On the back table, we have those four pathways as well as the prayers that our church family is going through. I would encourage you on your way out to pick one of those up and to join us and to continue to pray that God might establish this church. The very next week we met for, what does it mean to be marked by gathering? And the first announcement I had was, hey, you remember that last week when we were eating pancakes and syrup and we were worrying about the building? God provided, the least thing was worked out and we are now here and God took care of that. And we celebrate that. And I think we should celebrate that again today. So let's clap it up because God's moving. And so that's just in seven days, right? That's awesome. And so we looked at what does it mean for us to be marked by gathering, right? And so one of, kind of the big idea of that was, how we have flip-flopped what the church's purpose is on Sunday. And we learned that the primary reason why we gather as a church is for the believer. Yes, we want to invite the unbeliever. We want to invite our friends. But this is the time for the people of God to be reminded of all that the Lord has done because we are a forgetful people. We learned that from what happened in the Exodus as they continue to forget. We are like them, continuing to forget what God has done and then to be exhorted to go. And that brings us here today. And we're going to be exploring what does it mean for us to be known and to be marked by going, going out and reaching um, the least, the last and the lost. And so we are a young church and I want to continue just to kind of help us interact. Some of us have been a part of small churches. Some of us have been a part of church plants, but a lot of us have not had any of those experiences. And so I want to kind of continue to be not just a church Sunday morning gathering, but a teaching institute almost, so we can continue to learn what God is doing in and through our church. And so typically church services, especially in the Portland metro area, run between 25 minutes long to about 50 minutes, and that would be like the high range of their sermons, okay? So you're probably familiar with sermons lasting about 30, 35 minutes. Our sermons have been ticking around 55 minutes. We even had, yes, here we go, we had an hour one. Don't freak out, all right, don't freak out. We had an hour one, but here's the thing. We don't wanna make any assumptions. Me and Jack as elders and pastors of this church, we don't wanna make any assumptions that all of us are coming from the same background. And more importantly, we are intently focused, right, on creating a culture here. And so this series, unlike any other series we're gonna have, is like the literal foundation of our church. And we don't wanna go too fast um, into that. And so we're gonna be um, leaning in today, looking at what does it mean for us as a people group to be marked by going. We're gonna take our time. This is God's time. Let's rejoice and be glad in that. And we're gonna be looking at that essentially from three ways, okay? One is gonna be some devastating news. And I'm here this morning to share that with you. Now, I wanna set your head and your heart up correctly. My heart today, I've been praying all week for this sermon. My heart is not to come and for you to be offended. But if the Lord is stirring you up and there's things that you need to examine in your heart, I'm, I'm inviting you to do that this morning. I'm also not here this morning to preach a message to make you feel bad about maybe where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. However, I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to interact through this sermon, through me as a vessel, so you can explore where you're at in this story as we look at some devastating news. Does that make sense? Children, I'm going to be sharing some really devastating news, and I want you to hear that. The second thing we're going to do today is we're going to look at, we're going to survey that problem. Why are we, why are we here as a church? Why are we dealing with this problem? 
And then finally, we're going to look at the risky gospel truth, right? We are here to risk our comfort. It's the mission statement of our church. And so we're going to look at that. How do we take a risky step towards some gospel truth? And so the big question I want you to be thinking about throughout the rest of the sermon is this. Have I personally fallen into the trap of cultural Christianity? Or am I walking as a true Bible-believing, Christ-exalting disciple? Amen? Let's pray. Abba Father, I pray that your name would be lifted up incredibly, supremely high this morning. I pray for every single man and woman and child sitting here. You brought them here for an incredible encounter. I believe that. Don't let them miss that. Therefore, I ask for an extension of your grace and your mercy upon every single soul in here. Silence everything that has occurred within our weeks and even in our mornings in such a manner that every adjective and noun and pronoun and conjunction of your word would reverberate in our hearts this morning with spiritual clarity and insight and ultimately life. Center us, Lord Jesus, on what matters most as we listen to ancient thoughts from long, long ago, but that are as relevant today as they've ever been. In your love, I pray that anyone who has a hardened heart, Lord Jesus, that you would break, break that bondage so that they can interact with the living word and a living gospel. Finally, Lord, I ask that you would use me this morning, despite all of my brokenness and all of my unworthiness. You know intimately my weaknesses. You know my shortcomings. Yet I'm pleading that you would speak through me, shine through me, empower me to plant good seeds good seeds, Lord. My confidence is that you can water them, Lord Jesus, and I'm hoping that you will. May the word of God change us today. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. And so we got to start with probably, and I'm going to say this, one of the single most important passages in scripture when it comes to how to walk out our faith and ultimately to go. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And so as you are opening your Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 28, if you don't have your Bible, um, we do have Bibles to the right, and um, they are in the ESV, and um, so you are welcome to use those. They're in the windowsill. And so here's the word of the Lord in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, we got to stop right there. We have to stop right there. Let's, let's, let's get context for what's going on right now in the scripture. Jesus has been living his whole life up to about 30 years old in silence that he is the Lord thy God. Then after that, he, he begins his, his walk with the disciples. He calls them. First he calls one, then he calls two, then he calls two more. He has the 12 disciples. He begins to perform miracles and healings. He walks this walk for three years. He is ultimately condemned unjustly and he is put to death the christians at that time were afraid and scared they were they when when he died they thought oh my gosh ever the person we put our hope in is gone they were mourning they were frightened they were filled with anxiety and on that third day he rose again 
and they still didn't believe. They were like, oh, it's probably his ghost. It's probably a spirit. And then he showed himself. He allowed his disciples to touch his holes in his, in his, um, in his wrist and in his side. And they proclaimed and they finally believed, at least some of them, that Jesus was the living God. Here's what people don't know. Jesus then sticked around for another 40 days after he was raised from the dead, continuing to teach and to preach. And so here we go. This is the last message that we have of Jesus in the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to the hospital a couple of times when people are on their last days. And it's a really intimate moment. And some of us who are older have had more experiences than we want. Perhaps that some of you have been there for your parents um, as they were passing away or a grandparent. And you know that when you're in the sweet, beautiful, difficult time of someone's last days, their words really impact you, right? In fact, some of you right now can probably recall the moments in those hospitals or at home where you had those last exchanges, you had those last words. Oftentimes in those last moments, it's a time of forgiveness. It's a time of reconciliation. Or for a lot of us, it's a time of instruction. Grandparents lean into their children, their grandparents, and they give a final instruction. Well, this is the God of the universe. This is the God-man, Jesus. And this is his last message to you and I. I think that warrants us to lean in and to see what Jesus had to say. And so it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now you're going to notice five directives within this commission. One is go. Another is make. I underline them for you. Another is baptize. Another is teach. And another is behold. These are essentially the five directives that God has prescribed for his people to be marked by when it comes to going. Now let's lean in and let's look at this a little bit deeper. There are two types of teaching that Jesus was prescribing. Look up at the screen or at your Bible. There is a teaching of the believer before they know Christ. Let me show you. In verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Now, in the original translation, the word makes not there. It says, go therefore and disciple nations. Okay, in, in essence, go therefore and teach the lost and, un and the unbelievers about who I am and what I said. That's the first step. You still with me? You tracking with me? So there's a first level of teaching to the unbeliever, but then there's a teaching that comes after. Let me show you. Verse 20, teaching them, so this is after they're baptized, teaching them to observe, or in the King James Version, obey all that I have commanded you. So we, as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, we have a responsibility to teach the unbeliever, and then we have a responsibility to raise up the new believer into maturity. Amen? And so this is what God has asked us to do. Now, 2,000 years later, where are we at in this? Well, let me share with you some devastating news. Number one, only 20%, 20% of professing Christians have ever, ever, share their faith with an unbeliever. Now, these statistics come out of two really reputable places. One, Christianity News Today and Lifeway Christian Organization. Both of these 
um, organizations take it really seriously, their morals, their ethics, and most importantly, their reporting. They go through great lengths to come up with these numbers by searching wide and far, small churches, big churches, to come up with these statistics in a faithful way. Okay, let me just make sure you're understanding this, kids. That means out at, at of, at of every 10 people, only two people have ever shared their faith with an unbeliever. Where are you at in that story? Have you shared what God has done for you? Number two, 45% of believers never, never, not sometimes, never share their story of how they came to Christ. Okay, in other words, kids, I want you to focus on this. That means that in this room, what this report is saying is that every other person in this room will never share their story of how they came to Christ in their entire lifetime. That means if you look to the left, that person will, and the person to your right wouldn't. That's crazy, right? That's, 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 that's crazy. Have you shared your story? Hey, before you knew Jesus before you repented of your sin, before you entered into a new life and a new story, you know where you were. You know where you were without God. You know where you were without Jesus. You were lost. And in his love, he rescued you. He saved you. He gave you a new life. He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new hope. Have you shared that with anyone? Number three, this is devastating. 70% of unchurched people never have been invited to church their whole lives. We have all this information, all these articles, all these blogs about people not going to church. Hey, I want you to know, 70% of the unchurched lost people have never been invited by us, by you and me. That's three out of 10. Only three out of 10 people are being invited by Christians to church. And that must break the Lord's heart. Why is that? Why are we experiencing this devastating news? And I want to look at why are we at, why are we at this point right now in America in contrast to where we were in the book of Acts when the gospel first caught fire. We're going to look at that right now. And so on the screen, you're going to see right here, you're going to see a map, and you're going to see a map of all the different sections of where the gospel first caught caught fire. And this is all featuring and happening in the book of Acts. And so the first one says this, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. So here's what's going on right here. um, uh, Before that, when it says the word of God increased and multiplied. Now, you had Herod. Now, there's multiple Herods, and so I don't want us to get confused. This Herod, okay, is the Herod responsible for the killing of James. This is John, the disciple's brother. Now, this was impactful for the people of God. You see, they had developed this mindset that the 12 disciples were untouchable. They're like, these 12 people are legit. They've walked with God. They walk, I mean, with Jesus, with God, the God-man in the flesh. They are untouchable. They're like pillars of the faith. This was the first disciple to go down, and the people of God, well, how are they going to handle that? That would be like, you know, whoever you look up to, your spiritual hero, your spiritual, um, the pillar in your life, your grandparent, whoever that was, loses his life for the gospel. 
Now they have to explore, is our faith our own? Is our hope our own? Or was our hope in James? Was our hope in James or is our hope in Christ? So Herod kills James. He puts James to death. Now Herod has a, there's a lineage. Now his uncle, his uncle Herod, (laughs) was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. I want you to understand how much persecution is coming through this lineage of Herod. Okay? So his uncle killed James, the Baptist, John the Baptist, beheaded him. His grandpa, all right, his grandpa was responsible for killing all the babies on the pursuit of the baby Jesus being born, right? So he heard that the Messiah was going to be born. He killed all the babies. So let's, let's put this in context, okay? Grandpa Herod kills all the babies trying to stop Jesus, but he can't. And Jesus lives and he proclaims and he dies and he rises from the grave. Uncle Herod then kills John the Baptist because he's upset because John is preaching the gospel, baptizing people, and refuses to renounce his faith. And now, little nephew Herod (laughs) has now killed the apostle James. Wow. So this has happened. What are the people's response? The people increased their faith in response to... To adversity. So essentially, this verse could say, but the word of God increased and multiplied despite persecution and adversity. It's incredible. Number two, and the word of the Lord was spreading, not diminishing, not faltering, not becoming less and less proclaimed. It was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts chapter 13, verse 49. So here's what's going on in the context right here. Paul and Barnabas, they're going around to different towns, different cities, and they're proclaiming the gospel. Now, Paul was proclaiming a very, 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 very provocative message. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, hey, you no longer have to work for your salvation. Hey, free yourselves from that. Loosen yourself from that. Jesus has done it. He's paid the price once and for all. You are free. But guess who he was preaching this message to? He wasn't preaching it to the Jews. (laughs) He was preaching it to the Gentiles. That represents you and me. And the Jews reviled against that. They were upset. They, They uproared. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? They all the more boldly proclaimed, Christ has come for the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, everyone who was not Jews, which represents probably everybody in this room, They rejoiced in the Lord, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Wow. And then finally, if you see it, it's all circled, these locations. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right, here's what's going on in this context. So there there were 12 Jewish exorcists who were trying to basically do what Paul was doing. So at this time, Paul was walking with the Spirit so closely that people were touching his gown. Remember, you heard that story before, like Jesus? Touching his gown, and literally people were being healed by touching his garment. So Paul was healing people. People were being healed of diseases physically, healed of diseases emotionally. And so these 12 Jewish exorcists say, we can do this as well. And we can do this, and they start saying, we're going to do this in Jesus' name. And so the story goes like this. The Jewish, these 12 Jewish exorcists come and they say, we're going to heal in Jesus' name. And the demon responds and says, Jesus, I know. (laughs) Even Paul, I know. But you, I don't know. The demon then overpowers 
these 12 Jewish exorcists, and they run away naked, screaming, and wounded physically. What was the people's response to that? They all leaned in. They all went to their homes. They took all their magic, they, all of their magic. This is, this is huge. We don't have time to break this down. They took all of their magic, all of their traditions. They brought it into the middle of the town, and they burned it. You have to understand, to burn these materials was literally to end one way of life and enter into a new way of life. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That was their response to being challenged to giving up a way of life. But what are we doing? How do we respond when we are persecuted and we experience adversity in our life? I need you to lean in with me, track with me for a second. When you experience trials and tribulations in your life, does it push you towards God or away? When you experience sufferings and and trials in your life, do you trust Him more and get more bold in your Christian faith and witness? Or do you squander away, becoming hopeless? Question for you. Keep tracking with me. When you are experiencing persecution, and you are, and the God of the universe is interacting in your heart, and you are feeling, you're feeling the Holy Spirit saying, "Hey, the way what you're doing and how you're doing it is not what I want for you." Do you lean into that? Are you willing to take those things in your life and to lay them on the floor and to burn them and to take new a new life on, or are you holding tight to your life? Everybody's at a different point in that story, but I know this much. These statistics that I just gave you, these are accurate. And where the gospel started and where, we, where we're at, there's been a great divide. And I want to talk about that right now as we survey the problem, okay? So number one, I believe this is what's going on with all of my heart. I believe the Bible talks about this. Number one, there's a lack of gospel knowledge and, and there's timidity in sharing your faith. In other words, kids, what I'm saying is a lot of us are saying, I'm afraid someone's going to ask me questions that I can't answer. And so one of the things that's happening right now for the people of God is there's a lack of gospel knowledge and there's great timidity to share. Hey, if you were challenged right now to share the gospel in five minutes, could you do that? Again, this is not a sermon to condemn you. It's a sermon to challenge you. I want you to think. Could you spend five minutes with an unbeliever and articulate the gospel? You know, many of us are struggling to articulate even the simplest truths of the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, I know it involves Jesus. I know it involves... What is the gospel message? Do you know that? Can you say that in five minutes to your children? If I was to walk with your child outside and I said, Hey, what's the gospel? Would they be able to answer that question? Is something I want you to think about. Hey, listen, I believe in education. I have a BA, I have a master's, and I'm pursuing my second master's. But let me tell you this. At the end of the day, apologetics, seminary, all of that, becoming a theologian will only take you so far. At some point, at some point, you're going to be able to share your faith. And you're not going to learn that in school. You're not going to learn that in seminary. You're going to have to have a living vibrant relationship with the God of the universe where you proclaim what he's done for you. That is what ultimately alerts people 
and, 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 and helps them to interact with the gospel. If you look throughout the entire gospel message, Jesus was primarily not focusing on theology. He was focusing on what's going on in your heart. This is why he continued to contrast the theology with the Pharisees saying, hey, you say this, which is accurate, but I say this. You say, do not murder, but I say, if you have anger in your heart, you have murdered. What he was saying is, I'm not coming here to abolish the law, or in our context, let me say it for you this way, I'm not coming to lower theology, I'm coming to explain theology. Amen? We need to understand not just theology, but what's going on in our heart. Do you lack gospel knowledge, brother and sister? And do, and do your children have gospel knowledge? Number two, there's tremendous apathy and lack of compassion. In other words, it, I just, a lot of people just don't care that much about lost people. It's just not their priority. And though no, we don't usually will say it that way, <laughs> our priorities reveal <laughs> that it's not important to us, right? I have a question for you. If you were to pull out your phone and you were to scroll through the last 10 text messages in your phone, how many people are you interacting with in a real way in your life that don't know Jesus? It's, it's a good indication. Because sometimes we fool ourselves and we say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm reaching the loss, really. Look, who's your friends on Facebook? Who's on your phone? Who have you talked to and spent all your time with the last couple weeks? That'll reveal where your heart's at. If you don't put time in your schedule to actively pursue the lost, it's probably not a big priority for you. I have another question for you. Do you actively pray for people who don't know Jesus? In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says this, Many will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Do you understand what that means? People who do not obey God and who do not ultimately submit their life to Christ will experience eternal damnation in hell. Do you care about that truth? Or do you interact week in and week out in a laggardly posture that just says, you have all the time in the world? I'm here to tell you with someone whose life radically was changed by a severe injury, you're not promised tomorrow. And every single day I live, I know that life is a precious gift because I can feel it in my bones. Every day people are losing their life. Do you care enough to reach out, to get over your timidity to reach out? Number three, another thing that's happening that's changed since the time um, where it started, at least in the book of Acts. There's a lack of salvation assurance. In other words, it's hard for me to share my faith with other people because I lack confidence that my own faith is real. Does that make sense? I get that. And let me tell you, there have been seasons in my life where that was extremely, extremely true of me. Some of us have some real insecurity about our salvation assurance. Like, maybe not in public, maybe not even with our spouse, but deep down in our heart, when it's just us and we're alone and it's quiet, there's like this internal fear. Am I really a child of God? Man, if you are struggling with that, 
that is going to dramatically affect how you live your life for the gospel, how you share the gospel, how you trust in the saving work of the gospel. Man, there's hope for you. Some of us have that, have that uh, self, lack of salvation assurance, not because of that, but it's because of our sin. Hey, listen to me. Track with me for a second. Hey, some of us in this room have things going on in our lives in the closet, in secret, and it's affecting your ability for Jesus to continue to grow you up. Hey, I'm inviting you out of the shadow. Do not live in the darkness. Do not live in the shadows. That's why we want to be a people marked by gathering. You need brothers and sisters in your life who know you deeply, that you can be comfortable with, that you can share your shortcomings with. If you are struggling with shame and sin in your life after service, come up and talk to me. Come up and talk to Pastor Jack. Talk to a friend. Put it in the light. It loses its power. Um, you got to have salvation assurance. And so what does that reveal? What do these things reveal? Well, it reveals three things primarily. It reveals, and there's not a lot for you to write down. I just really want you to focus this morning, okay? It reveals a lack of surrender. So, so much of what's going on in today's, uh, um, in today's walk with Jesus compared to then is we're not surrendering our lives to him. In Romans chapter 12, it says, I appeal to you, this is Paul speaking, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What does that mean by the mercies of God? By the fact that God, man, we are worthy to be punished right now. He could end life, but in his love, he's having mercy. He's giving us the opportunity. Every day that you have to stay alive is an opportunity not for you to build up your wealth and your storehouses, not for you to make your kids the best, you know, the best kids with the best morals in the best neighborhoods. That's not why he's extending oxygen in your lungs. He provides oxygen in your lungs to give you as an individual son and daughter of Christ the opportunity to enter into radical repentance so that you can have a right relationship with him. Are you wasting the mercy of God? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your worship. So there's a lack of surrender. Some of us, we're not surrendering our lives. We're holding them like this. I want to do what I want to do. I want what I want out of life. But you gotta, you got to open your hands and give it back to God. Another thing it reveals is there's a lack of repentance. See, what, what, we, what we saw in the book of Acts was that the people recognized their sin. They're like, man, we're not doing this right. Repentance means you, you, you don't just acknowledge that you're wrong. You do something about it. You completely turn from it. When they burned, when they burned their traditions and they burned all their magic and all their sorcery stuff, that was them signifying, hey, I'm not just going to say I'm done. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm done looking at things I'm not supposed to at night. Hello? I'm going to stop watching things I'm not supposed to watch. But you don't deactivate your account. Kind of like tricking yourself right or you know what this is this is the last time i'm going to do x y and z but you kind of just kind of like you just make sure though you still have an opportunity just in case you want to turn back to it no repentance is to totally and utterly turn away from it are you having a posture in your life of true repentance and then the final thing is it reveals a lack of faith and confidence matthew 10 verse 33 says this but whoever denies me before men, this is a weighty truth. You guys have probably heard this, but have you really leaned in and focused on what it's saying? But this is Jesus talking, 
Okay, if you opened up your Bible, it'd be in red. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Denying doesn't mean that you just say he's not real. Denying is the absence of proclaiming that he's real. Let me say that to you again. Denying Jesus isn't saying only that he's not real. Denying Jesus is the absence of sharing that he is real. So when you are hanging out and you're spending time in your, in your communities, wherever you live, your kids have friends, your kids have community, you're a part of those communities. If you're not married, you're not in a family, you have community. Do the people know that you are a Christian? Now, that may be easy. Yes, they know that. I tell them I go to church. Okay, that is good. Now, let me ask you a second question. Are you actively sharing the Matthew 28 gospel with them? Are you going into your communities and sharing the gospel? Are you making disciples in your neighborhoods? Here's a, here's a heart check for you. On the left side of your house and on the right side of your house, have you spent one interaction with them for five minutes and shared your hope. That was really convicting for me and my wife, and we had a season, and we said, man, we can't keep going on like that. I had a brother who lived across from me who went to a different church, and he challenged me as a 25-year-old pastor. Pastor, I'm saying it again. As a 25-year-old pastor, he challenged me and said, hey, Brandon, brother, you got to stop crossing over. 15 miles in your car to drive to the church you're preaching at, you're passing by your neighborhood. And first, my pride kind of, like, what's up with that, bro? <laughs> and, and, and I, like, didn't really want to talk to him for a minute because, you know, it really offended me. I'm just going to be honest as your pastor. I don't, I'm not trying to come and be all that. I was super offended. And then Jesus got a hold of my heart, and I was like, I really am driving 15 miles to the other side of the city, and I'm passing by all these people who don't know Jesus. So when me and my wife moved here, we made it a, a, man, we immediately activated some of our neighbors that were right there. And we really leaned in. We helped out some situations that were going on. And it's been a really beautiful thing. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Um, we can't deny God. So here's some risky gospel truth. And this is super important. This is where we're going to really lean in. Number one, we are called to risk our comfort for both the diseased and the afflicted persons that need redemption, okay? We have to risk our comfort for the disease and the afflicted. Turn with me, look at, um, look at me on the screen or in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages. This is a super important passage. Uh, just stay focused with me because I really believe God wants to do something in, the, in your guys' hearts today. So, and Jesus went through all all, this is the key. I want, you to, I want you to focus on this. When you study the Word of God, hey, feel free to mark your Bibles up, underline things. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? D Jesus didn't skip around from different towns. So often, the people of God, we skip by people who make us uncomfortable. Jesus went, went out of his way to go, to, like, to go into Samaria. He went into the places that we often don't want to go because they're uncomfortable. 
I love that about our Savior. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Here we go. And healing every disease and every affliction. We, as the people of God, have been called to follow after Christ in the same journey. Now, let me bring this into context. Otherwise, these are state Bible words, and they're not really relevant to most people today. Disease doesn't just have to be cancer and lupus and Lyme disease, although it includes that. It can be the disease of the heart. It can be um, things like mental disabilities or emotional or behavioral disorders. Like, can I just be honest? We're a brand new church plant. Oh man, I say, sometimes I just, I, I, I have my own internal conversation. I just crack myself up. I say, th like, I always say this, if we're trying to grow our church as fast as possible, I'm really not doing a good job because <laughs> I say a lot of things that I know are not the most popular, but I do want to share something with you. We're a brand new church plan in our fifth week and we have kids with us and it's not ideal in the normal, normal cultural Christian church, right? Because they make a little noise. They walk around and honestly, um, I was talking with Pastor Jack and I was like, man, I'm up here. I've, I've been praying and preparing for the sermon and I love watching them. They're trying so hard, but you know what's so convicting? I can look out to the crowd and I can see people annoyed. Like you're annoyed with the most precious of God's children. <laughs> Jesus literally responded to his own disciples and rebuked them when they had that posture in their hearts. Like if you don't even, if you can't even risk your listening comfort for God's precious children, what do you think you're doing out there? Jesus has called us to reach out to those who have diseases and afflictions. That means they can't do anything for you. It means you have to do something for them. <laughs> they can't provide anything for you. You have to provide something for them. Are you willing to be marked in that kind of a way with radical generosity where you give up your life for those who are less fortunate, those who are afflicted? Wow. When he saw the crowds, what kind of crowds? Crowds filled with people who had diseases and afflictions and imperfections and didn't fit into the status quo. What was his response? He had what? Interact with me. He had what? He had what? Compassion is not sympathy, folks. Sympathy is just saying, oh, I feel bad for you over there. Compassion is I'm willing to join into your suffering. I want to know, I want to feel what you feel. It's empathy. He had compassion for them because they were what? Harassed and helpless. Oh my gosh, I'm, I feel like I'm just having devotions with you. Listen to me, they're helpless. The unbeliever without Christ is helpless. Hey, you once were helpless without Christ. Don't forget where you came from. Don't look at people who, like, yeah, they don't know God, and they're saying things that you wouldn't want your kids to say, and they're saying things that you don't want your kids around. But hey, what the Word of God is saying is, without Christ, they're helpless. They have no hope of understanding what it is to live right and righteously. Jesus didn't look at them and condemn them. He had compassion on them. If we want to be a people marked by going that matches Christ Jesus, we must look at these people not as a problem, not as sources of what we want to avoid, but we want to encourage them and have compassion. Let's continue. Then he said to his disciples, to his inner circle, 
The harvest is plentiful. My God. He looked out at all these helpless people with afflictions and diseases, and he said, the harvest is so plentiful. And this is, this is, this is devastating. This is part of that devastating conviction. But the, label, the laborers, or as I like to call it, the true Bible-believing, Christ-exalting disciples, they're few. Hey, cultural Christians don't change anything. You don't do anything. You, cultural Christians don't do anything. They fill up chairs. But true Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, disciples, Jesus said there's few of them. There's few of them. And you know what Paul said? Here, here's, here's an example. Here's a good imagery of a, of a disciple of Christ. He says, I would rather be accursed. Oh, I would rather go to hell myself for the sake of others coming in a relationship with Jesus. That is foreign to most people. Living in a way where you say, I would give up my own salvation so that everyone else could know God is foreign to most people who go to church. Now, luckily, just for those who maybe are just starting in this relationship with Jesus, God's not asking you to give up and go to hell for that. But what Paul was accentuating is this. That's how much he loves God's people. That's how much he leaned in and was trying to match Jesus and having compassion for them. Do you have compassion for them? The second risky, and it's risky, right? This is super risky, what I'm challenging you as a pastor. Here's the second one. We are called to risk our comfort for both the selfish and the sinful person's redemption. I love this. Let's look at this now in this passage. It's our final, our final text. Almost. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So essentially, we're going to use tax collectors as the prideful, the arrogant, the selfish, the takers. So just in case you're, the, maybe you're the one that's like, amen, brother, amen, pastor. I believe, yes, I, 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 I dedicate my Saturdays and I'm helping out at the rescue mission and I'm helping the poverty and, okay, well, man, praise God. And I'm so glad you're doing that. But maybe this is your struggle. Maybe you don't struggle with the, with the least, the last, and the lost. Maybe your struggle is with those who are a little bit more, up, like, you know, a little bit more uppity, the ones that walk around, you're like, geez, what's kind of like, what's up your... You know, well, we have to keep a kid friendly, right? <laughs> and so maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with those who are supposedly down here. Maybe you struggle with those who are supposedly up here. Jesus has the same heart both ways. I love that. So when the, when the Pharisees saw that, they, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with people like this? God, why is he, re why is he eating with the rich people who just take and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call 
the righteous, but the sinners. Here's what Jesus was saying. Yep, they have all these issues. You're right. They're prideful. They're takers. They're selfish. They're conceited. They're all about themselves. They exalt themselves by taking from others. I've come for them. <laughs> I've come for them. And I love this. He's, this is Jesus. Just in case you think that I'm being a little bit aggressive, I'm not. Jesus is. He, he's just really, really great at doing it in a really wise way. Let me tell you what he's saying. Let me bring it down for you. He's saying, and I'm, and I, and I'm not coming for you. I came for them, not you. Let me say it again. I came for them and not you, Pharisee, cultural Christian, like saying this person's, this, this one's worthy, this one's not worthy, this one shouldn't be around my family, this one should be around my family, this one's not worthy to be around my, I'm not coming for you. You are in no need, apparently, for salvation. You're, you got it all figured out. I'm coming for the least, the last, and the lost. I'm coming from the arrogant. I'm coming for the broken. That's who I've come for. Are you willing to risk your personal comfort, the way you do life, the way you have constructed your, hey, hey, men in here, leading your homes, are you willing to change the way you lead your home to properly and wisely risk your family for the sake of the gospel? Will you risk your daughters and your sons? Because Jesus is asking you to do that. He's asking us to do that. Now, we started off with the Great Commission, right? Um, but we're going to end with the Great Commission in just a moment. But I want you to know what Jesus has to say about this whole risky truth. If you're not willing to do that, Jesus says, for himself, you, you're of no use to me. You are of no use to me. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says this. You, Brandon, Everybody here, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, if you have lost your very function, listen, your function of why you are alive is to be the salt and the light of Christ. It's not about building your houses and your 401ks and your good life and your vacation rentals. And this is a problem in the area of Beaverton Hill. Do you know that Beaverton Hillsborough area is in the top five places in the entire United States for retirement? I know you guys know that because a lot of, we, we know this, right? This is one of the main places in the whole country that people move to to retire. That's not a bad thing. I'm glad I'm here. I love living here. But I want you, you can look this up. I want you to know this. Because we are a prime area of where people come to literally rest, have comfort, and retire, we have to fight that much harder to activate ourselves in the gospel. We are living in an area that is proclaiming a message societally that says rest and have a good life. That's counter to Jesus' message. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its job and its function, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is what Jesus says, not me. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. So, so, so for everyone who's been, who's, who's been raised in, in, in church, who has learned that Jesus is this warm and fuzzy um, guy with long Goldilocks hairs and it flows in the air, he never says anything that's tough, and 
anytime you get challenged or any type of conviction, oh my gosh, you're lacking compassion. Jesus, you know, he set kids on his, on his, on his knee. He did. He did put kids on his knee. He did have radical compassion, but he was fierce for his heavenly father. He was serious about the gospel. And he's serious about what he's challenging us to do. We're no longer good for anything if we are not being the salt and light of this earth. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Question for you. Parents with children, are your kids being discipled to be salt and light of the earth? Do they understand it is their primary call, not becoming a doctor, not good grace? Do they know that their primary job is to be the salt and the light of this world? And are you arming them with the how-to? Now, just in case this is getting too heavy, we're almost done, stay tracking with me, all right? Just for the rest of the series, we're going to spend some time. We'll, we'll, we'll get there into our 30, 40 minute sermons. But right now, I want you to track with me. Just in case this is feeling weighty, just in case you're feeling a lot of pressure and weight, I have good news and I have hope. We're going to start where we end it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I put in bold some really important verses that come right before the, the Great Commission. We often skip them, but we can't skip them anymore. We can't do that. Now the 11 disciples, because Judas is gone, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's getting ready to ascend back into heaven on the right side with the Father. He's been risen from the grave. Remember, imagine being one of those disciples and you did not believe. And now you're sitting in front of God and he's getting ready to ascend. This is like 500 plus people here right now. This is why the, the Word of God is boring for some of us, because we don't take the time to slow down. Put yourself on the mountain. You're around 500 people. Jesus is sitting right here. And when, excuse me, and when they, when the people saw Jesus, they worshipped Him. Why did they worship Him? They had just seen Him been raised from the dead. He'd been walking around for 40 days. Are you there with me? Are you in this story on the, on the Mount of Galilee? So, so they, here they are, but in red, what does it say? But some, say that again. Hey, even the people who saw the living Christ still walking around with pierced hands and a pierced side still struggled with their doubt. There's hope for me and you. There's hope for me and you. Don't walk away from this sermon feeling like you're like, oh, I'm the worst Christian ever or I haven't done anything. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message is what are you willing to do now? That's why we went through this series and learned what does it mean to be marked by grace? God has grace for our shortcomings. He has mercy for our shortcomings. He's always willing right now to heal you, to forgive you. Listen, as your pastor, I'm inviting you to lean into repentance and to say, Jesus, I haven't been risking my comfort. I haven't been teaching my family to risk my comfort. I've been making it all about myself. 
And I don't want to do that any longer. Hey, this is beautiful, beautiful. Watch this. But some doubt it. And what did Jesus do? Did he rebuke them? Did he condemn them? Did he say, after everything that I did for three years, you still don't believe? What did he do? And Jesus came. He just leaned in closer. He leaned in closer to them and said, Every, all authority. This is the last thing I want you to remember. You don't remember anything else. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hey, brothers and sisters, it's not on you. It's on Jesus. He has the power. He has the authority. He wants to share it with you. What are you willing to activate your call on your life? Are you willing to take some steps in your life, in your home, and in your families? Some of us have been traveling from church to church to church to church, trying to find a carbon copy of exactly what we want church to be. You're missing the whole point of the gospel. You're missing the whole point of church. I love you, and that's why I want to tell that with you. Hey, stop going from church to church to church, trying to find everything that caters to you. And I'm going to challenge you to lean in with me for a moment and to think about this. Find a church that's going to challenge you to become all that God has created you to be. If you're in a church and it's comfortable, I want to challenge you to consider being in a church where every single Sunday is not so comfortable, where the Word of God is stale and you can't hear it any longer. I don't care if that's Redemption City Church at all. And that's another one of the, the, do, the don'ts that you're supposed to say when you're a church plant because we need money, we need video. If Redemption City is not the church for you, that's fine. But find a church where you can be challenged by the Word of God. Do not pick your churches primarily because of programming and events and gatherings. And do they have, what, 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 you know, what kind of um, summer programs do they have for my children? Hey, that's important. Please don't start there. You start with what gospel are they preaching? Eternity is in the balance. Are they preaching the gospel message? And more importantly, am I being activated at this church? Am I growing at this church? That's where the conversation starts. Hey, listen, some of us are consumed with so many fears and so many anxieties and so many past experience that we are completely paralyzed, completely paralyzed from sharing the gospel with unbelievers. And I want to invite you to something. We're going to be starting Redemption City groups in the fall. And they're not going to be traditional small groups. They're not going to be small groups filled with only Christians where we all get together in only safe neighborhoods. If that's what you're hoping for, I want to tell you in love in advance where we're going so you can make the decision early that this may not be the place for you. Our city groups, the keyword is city groups, not small groups, is us being intentional, saying we want to create small group environments where we intentionally create small groups with a mixture of our people and unbelievers, and we want to do life with them. We want to do life with people who are not sure if they want to believe in God. We're going to want to do life with people in our homes, and they're going to introduce our kids to them who are walking differently than us. Oh, I don't, let me say it like this. We want to, in, we want to in, interact with people who are from different faiths. 
We want to interact with the LGBT community. We want to invite them into our homes. Are you listening? We want to eat and break bread with them. And we want to love them well. And we want our love to show them Christ. And then we're going to pray for them. And we're going to see what God does in that. Are you willing to take those steps? I'm going to give you an opportunity for coffee, tea, and a meaningful conversation. This is where we're ending today. This Wednesday. You don't have to come. There's no pressure. But I want to invite you to the Arbory this Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. to talk about everything we've discussed today. Because you may be saying right now, how do I share my faith? I'm willing. I have interacted with today's sermon, and I want to take a step. I don't know how. Pastor Brandon, I don't know how to share my faith. I want you to have a safe environment where you don't feel like you're on the spot to work through that. Hey, this is a survey. That's why we have to spend a full hour. There's a lot to be discussed. I just want you to see today what the Bible says. But I understand there's some practical things. How do I do that? Uh, You may be saying, how do I build bridges between unbelievers? I don't know how to do that. So the first step is you got to be humble and just say that. Say, I don't really know how to do that. My parents didn't raise me that way. I don't know how to, to, to build a bridge. You may be saying, I'm willing, but hey, where's the balance at? How do I protect my home and my children? Pastor Brendan, are you saying that you just have any and everybody coming in through your house at any point in time? Nope. Uh, there's wisdom to be used. We invite people wisely into our homes. We involve people with our children in a wise way. So if you want to discuss that in a small group forum right here in the Arbory, it won't look like this. So there'll be couches here and just having a discussion over coffee and tea. Um, I want to invite you to come this Wednesday from 7 to 8 um, to talk about that. Amen? Let's pray. Mm. Father, we do confess tonight, or at least some of us are confessing um, this morning, that, we, uh, <laughs> that we've come here wanting to believe the things we've heard, and we're wanting to have faith and Um, We really do want to have a longing in our hearts to love the things that you love, primarily the lost. And yes, Father, as we desire to reach the lost and the broken and the spiritually wounded, we desire to dig into your word. But the reality is, God, some of us today, we're just not there. We just have a lot going on in our lives. We have a lot that's weighing us down. And we're acknowledging to you. We're saying we're not there. And so we just want to spend some time right now sort of confessing that we're hurting. Or, or maybe we're confused, or, 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 or maybe we just, we just don't know where to start. Father, we need you. Some of us have been Christians for a super long time. Some of us have been in church leadership. Some of us can even be pastors. And honestly, we've never made this serious in our life. We've been living super comfortable in the shadows with people who are just like us. But Lord, we want to step out of the shadow of, of, uh, of similarity. We want to risk our comfort for those with diseases and afflictions and um, the proud and, and, and all those that you've had compassion on. I pray that we would spend some time today, that we wouldn't just run into our week doing the next thing, but that we would examine our hearts. Lord, you have blessed some of us with beautiful children. It is a temporary guardianship that we have. I pray that you would challenge every parent in this room to become all the more intentional with their children. That, Lord, our first direction wouldn't be to turn to self-help books and leadership books or even Christian books. 
but that we would turn to the Word of God, the living Word. God, we have to open up the Bible with our children. Help us to open our Bible with our children and for ourselves. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.